In this episode, you will learn how a five times founder backed by Excel and Seedcamp decided to shut down his business. My name is Alexei and I help founders scale. My guest today is Matteo Grassi and he raised $3.5 million from a bunch of amazing backers, Excel, Seedcamp, Harry Stebbings, 20VC, Sam Parr, Syndicate, and a bunch of other amazing angels. Today, we'll find out why he shut down his business. Matteo's latest business was called Pop-Up an innovative content management system. He was going head to head against Shopify ultimately. And we learn also how important community building was and how important ultimately numbers are in the VC game. So enough of me rambling now, let's dive in. Hi Matteo, excited to have you here. Hi, Alex. I'm excited to have you here as well. I've been uh, hiding for the last three months, so oh, yeah. <laughs> it's nice to be <laughs> first podcast after I did four months. Perfect. So honored, honored to be given that chance. Same, same. Awesome. Same. Uh, cool. So just for the context of uh, you know the listeners uh, and and for the viewers, um, you are a five times founder, and your fifth business mm-hmm. pop up was a very innovative content management system. Uh, which raised more than $3.5 million, scaled to more than 40 uh, people in the team. And um, as of, I guess, a month ago, the business actually got shut down, right? Yeah, correct. Yeah, we decided to not move forward uh, anymore. I mean, we just ran out of money. We couldn't secure more funding. We tried. We fundraised for about six months. Um, I think we saw an opportunity maybe to secure more funding, but it wasn't, it was just basically prolonging a death that it was going to happen now was maybe it's going to happen in the next six months, seven yeah. months. Yeah. Yeah. So better, so, better uh, quick death rather than death by thousand, uh, stabs, right? Yeah. But we also wanted to get right from our employees as well. And it's like, you know, running out of money, um, like to the end and not even being able to give uh, any severance mm-hmm. to the people it was it was wrong for us so we decided to do a little bit before um we we didn't have time to pivot and we didn't have time also to explore an acquisition mm-hmm. because i think if we decided maybe eight months ago um we probably would have been able to be acquired or have an exit because we were talking to some people at very at the very end but just the timing wasn't there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So before we jump a bit more into that, because it's very rare that founders talk about, you know, how a business actually got shut down or how they decided to, you know, close the business. Um, let's maybe start with your founding story and what the actual benefit of pop-up was. Yeah, so we had um, a portfolio company of different e-commerce brands meaning that we were actually building brands building products uh you know we had fulfillment center so we were like merchants basically um we noticed a problem in while we were running our own stores which was kind of a problem that we noticed while we were working in shopify so there was a lot of conviction because of our experience in shopify and also running our brands ourselves um and we thought 
maybe we could approach commerce in a different way. Maybe the system or the, the way things have been done has not changed for a long time. And uh, maybe we can propose a new approach and uh, not just like building a Shopify app, um, but basically reinventing how commerce is made and creating a new e-commerce platform. So initially Papa started as a flow builder, right? Um, and we explored the possibility at the very beginning to become a Shopify app. And to be a Shopify app, we realized that we could not be a Shopify app because the whole concept of controlling the customer journey was starting from the start of the customer journey to the end of the customer journey. And the end of the customer journey is the checkout. And if you cannot control the checkout, then the whole concept goes away. That's the moment that we decided to raise capital. To be honest with you, if I'd done a Shopify app, I wouldn't have raised capital. We have money from our past venture, you know, we, we bootstrap pop up for uh, six or seven months before we raised. And uh, yeah, I just, there was no point. And this is like, again, I think it's like a lot of people say, oh, should I raise, should I not raise? It depends on the size of the products. I yeah. mean, if you're building a Shopify app and you can do it yourself, mm -hmm. maybe you shouldn't raise money. Yeah. And uh, and a lot of venture capital are like, hey, maybe you can turn pop up into a Shopify app. And I was like, well, <laughs> That's the reason why we raise capital not to be a Shopify app. Yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, yeah, we we embarked on this journey. On, um, but it, it was a really, I was really naive in terms of like I didn't know. I, I knew zero about venture capital, and my business partner knew zero about venture capital because we bootstrapped businesses in the past. So I was a five x founders, but I considered now myself first time founder because. Yeah, the pace, being the pace a founder bootstrapping right? is different. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, and that was I think one of my maybe short sight or not mistakes, but thinking like, hey, I've, I've done businesses before, I managed money before, I have, but I always operated on profits. It's like you make money and then you spend the money and then your objective is making money. I never operated on. You know, they give you money and then you can show profits whenever, maybe in a year or two, and then you just focus on building the products. It's a completely different mindset. And I think that's what, what um, a lot of things mistakes were made also because of this. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So maybe going back once so, yeah. and you saying you had an e-commerce business and and you know various brands, and then you decided to actually go into software. Why did you decide to go from e-commerce into software into f in the first place? I think the challenge, I think, is like you, you reached as an entrepreneur. I think you always reach a plateau, and if you're not there for the money, which you shouldn't be there for the money. I mean, it's it's money. Money is is great, and it's a way to to move forward and building things. But it shouldn't be the objective for me. Uh, myself and, my, and Corey, my business partner, were like, I mean, I, do we really want to do more of this stuff? I mean, we've been doing it for the last 10 years. Wouldn't it be exciting to build a company where you empower other people to mm -hmm. create things? Mm -hmm. And this is where I think Pop-Up was such a challenging product because it's what is called the prosumer company, right? A prosumer company is where the user is also the producer. Right. Uh, Figma is a prosumer company, Adobe is a prosumer company, Notion is a prosumer company. 
and prosumer company takes a long time to find product market fits. It's not like, I don't know, a lamb list or a email marketing tool where, you know, you just write an email, send it to people, that's it, right? With, with pop-up or like with same as Notion, you can really create anything yeah, you want. Yeah, yeah. And so when you give the possibility to people to create anything they want, the question is like, what problems are you solving? I don't know, you're not solving one problem, you're solving an array of problems because everyone has different way that their imagination works. Mm-hmm. That makes it really hard to find your initial ICP. It makes it really hard to find product market fits. And then if you look at a company like Figma, I think they went out of beta on their Series A. I think their first customer was like, it so, took so long wow. for them because they needed to reinvent the whole design system. Mm-hmm. And this is the vision that we had for Pop-Up too. Mm. Um, but to have that, you need to have, I think, investors that believe in the long-term vision. Mm-hmm. Um, and investors did believe in our vision, but the market changed as well. Yeah. And when the market changes, then companies like Pop-Up are not as seen as good as in 2021, where mm-hmm. people back in like big vision, you know, moonshots, uh, right? Pop-Up was kind of thing that if it works, you go IPO and you're going to basically challenge Shopify. If it doesn't work, you crash. Yeah. Um, but when investors get weary, and, us, and it's not VC because at the end of the day, VC responds to their limited partners, right? Yeah. Then it, it, building conviction is really hard because mm-hmm. Our MVP was just too big. Mm-hmm. We, we couldn't build a product that was able to serve 100% a small segment of customers right. in the time that was given to us. Mm-hmm. And that was the problem. Got it. So you mentioned you initially bootstrap pop-up with the proceeds you got from the previous business. And then you decided to raise. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you go about the raise? Who invested? Like, if you can, you know, name or you know, mention the name. Yeah. We see. Yeah, of course. You know, I, I, yeah, it's all public as well. Um, it was twenty twenty one. We approached for the first time raising capital. We had, we were very lucky to meet uh, Anthony Dannon, we, which is a, a, one of our first angels. And now he has a fund called Coco uh, Ventures. It's a micro fund and he's an amazing human being. And he was able basically to guide us and give us a lot of advice in terms of like uh, how much to raise, what signal do you have, uh, equity targets. Uh, uh, there is a fundraising strategy. Fundraising is a strategy. And, um, and I think if you want to actually read a good book, uh, from one of my investors, which is Carlos from Sitcamp, he wrote a book called Field Guide to Fundraising. And I think it's a great book. Um, we were, 2021 was a year, there was a lot of money coming up and we came out as these guys from nowhere that had 20 years in e-commerce worked in, in Shopify. We had an amazing deck. Uh, and, and, and then we were like, holy shit, this, this is, this is big. And we got people excited. Right. And, um, for the first, I think month, nothing happened because our main mistakes was we were asking for too much money. So what was happening? We were uh, initially raising, I think, uh, 4 million 
and that money was pricing out a lot of uh, venture capital right. that were focused on pre-seed, for example, right? Yeah. Because they can write a maximum amount of check, they have equity targets, and they were like, we cannot do this, right? Mm -hmm. it, it's just too much. Or it was like, for this amount of money, we wait for Series A, right? Mm -hmm. we, we didn't have any traction. We had basically a very small MVP and a pitch deck. So we, what we did, we, we shrank down the race and we said, okay, let's raise 2 million instead of four. Because that, and then allowed us to found a lead investor that was put, that was able to put like a million dollars, for example, and lead around. Mm -hmm. So once we did that, Sikam came back to us and said, okay, we were always interested in you guys. Uh, it's just like we couldn't enter in that round, but with 2 million, we cannot lead, but we can make a hard commitment and send a signal to everyone else that we want you. That completely flipped the scripts. Like that, that moment, because we had uh, a very tier, a tier one fund that said, we believe in these guys. And I believe that fundraising a little bit like a class or a dance, you know, when there's no one dance and then there is a person that comes in and rocks the floor and everyone dance, right? I think, I think that's, mm -hmm. that's it. So a lot of founders I say to them is like, don't lose time to contact a yeah. hundred people. Maybe just find the lead investor. Because if you find the lead investors, you just find one. Yeah. Finding the others is easy. Like, like it's, it's super easy. Dominant. And so when Sikam, so when Sikam came, that's it. And uh, we got we got the FOMO. We got the FOMO going. And and then Sikam came and then uh pff, I don't know, a ton of people arrived. And then everyone was like, Oh, I want in, I want in, I want in. And basically we ended up that at the time we, we could have raised ten million dollars. If we wanted to, we could have raised ten million. Wow. Because everyone would just wanted to give us money, especially when Excel came in. So Excel came in and it said, We want in. And we were like, ah, guys, we don't have any space <laughs> because at the time the round was actually already full. Uh, we didn't have a lead. It was more like a party round. Mm -hmm. uh, it was like sick camp together with 20VC. And then we had other uh, funds coming in with uh, Sempar, with the syndicates. So everyone was putting money in and, and we basically closed at 2 million already happy outs, right? So Excel came in and is like, no, I want in. And, and that was the time where we excelled. There was a lot of back and forth. And uh, we said no. And they were like, oh, you know, we, we really want in. And our main concern, which was uh, actually advised to us, um, it was Excel is a multi-billion dollar fund. Um, they do not do many pre-seed investments. And uh, the risk that you have with Excel is that if they don't invest in you in the next round is going to give a bad signal to everyone else. Mm -hmm. And then the possibility for you to raise are going to be very, 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 very low. So it's a risk. I mean, good side, you have Excel on your cap table, meaning yeah. that, I mean, it's Excel, right? Um, the downside is that uh, that might screw up in the future. So we thought about it a lot. Um, and then I think what moved the needle and we decided to bring Excel in, it was the idea that Excel might not be the right fund for pre-seeds, but for the company that we're trying to build, mm -hmm. having a multi-stage fund that is going to support you to pre-seed, seed, and series A, even though 
you know, you are building this massive product, that's, that's maybe what we need. Mm-hmm. Very similar to the Figma story. And so we extended the round. So we brought from 2 million to 3.5. Mm-hmm. So Excel could come in and Excel came in. And then uh, we, we kept the group of people that we had. So we had Seacamp, we have 20VC. Uh, then we have Sempar uh, with uh, his syndicates. And then we had a uh, few angels like Johnny from Hopin. We had uh, Alex from Linktree. Uh, Kieran Flanagan, we had, uh, um, yeah, just like three or four other angels. It's like an all-star, and, uh, all-star that was, It's an all-star Oh, uh, it was a really cool <laughs> Yeah, but man, it was, it was insane. It was, 2021 was a time that once Excel came in, I had calls with Venture Capital and they were like, uh, you guys closing? I was like, yeah, we're kind of closing. And um, who's your cap table? Oh, it's Excel. And they were like, Oh, can we give you 200,000? I was like, do, 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 do you want to know what we're building? I was like, oh, no, no, it's fine. I was like, <laughs> thank you, people third, throwing money at you. Third behavior, and, yeah. Yeah. Uh, to me, like someone that bootstrapped and it was like struggling constantly, having people to beg you to give you more money, and they were like, I want to give you more. It's like, no. I have 20,000, I can't give you more than 20. It's like, this is the thing. It's like, no, 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 can, can, can you do 50? Can you do 100? Can you? <laughs> I, was like, I was like, this is insane. Um, and so, yeah, we closed around Excel led and, um, and then we start building. We start, we started building. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then, okay, cool. And I guess like a big part of your building was also community, right? You created e-commerce minds, which is a very active, uh, WhatsApp community. They came after, Mm -hmm. they came after, I think, I think if I had to go back, um, I would not do, I I would have done any, any, any of any of this. I wouldn't have done the community. I wouldn't have done any marketing. I wouldn't have done any MAs. I wouldn't have done any documentaries, I wouldn't have done anything else. Because that's what also investors were not really pleased about, okay. right? Interesting, because you um, were distracting yourself, basically. Product, uh, it wasn't a distraction. I think it was, uh, they wanted to see the products. So m- marketing and products should, it's like, what the hell you are pushing marketing, but mm-hmm. any of these is not converting into customers because the product is not ready yet. Right. My argument was simple. It was like, we're not spending a lot of money to do this, first of all. So it's not a major investment. It's not like I have, I freaking hired, you know, 20 people in my marketing team or, uh, you know, and also I'm a marketer. So there's no, I cannot build the products, you know, it's just like, you know, mm-hmm. Corey's head of engineering, my co-founder, he was managing all of that. Um, and uh, there was not much I could do. So to me, the best thing, the best use of my time was started to creating some sort of uh, fertile ground to be able to then focus on organic um, organic acquisition because I knew that competing on a performance marketing in e-commerce it was going to be like we're never going to have the money it's like just too expensive yeah, yeah. you know companies like Shopify just dominate the keywords so so to me it was like Google Ads forget about yeah. it right mm-hmm. so it was like the best thing I can do because we want to also to build this is another thing that I think investor never got um, and I was fighting I think a lot on, on this it was like I know you're thinking we're building a B2B company but in reality pop-up is 
a consumer company because Shopify was really successful because they built a consumer company, not a B2B company. Mm -hmm. Shopify Plus, B2B company, but the money, when they started, they were selling entrepreneurship. So they were selling for people that starting out, people that wanted to buy the dream. It was, and this is why you say, I have a Shopify store. Mm -hmm. You don't say I have a WooCommerce store, right? You don't say I have a Wix store. You say I have a Shopify store Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because Shopify equals entrepreneurship, right? And this to me was like, maybe we'll start with that. And also I knew that on, uh, in acquisition, I wanted to focus on, uh, on, on partnerships because the biggest challenge for me for pop-up was being an e-commerce platform. So being an e-commerce platform was the biggest challenge in terms of building the product. But at the same time, it was also our biggest opportunity because we don't have competitors besides Shopify. So we can tap into the Shopify ecosystem and I can go to agencies. I can go to apps. I can go to anyone. Anyone can build on Shopify or on pop-up. And uh, so to me, creating a partnership program was basically our way to acquire customers without spending any money. Yeah. To create a partnership program, I was like, maybe I'll start creating a community because Mm -hmm. the community will allow me to bring in people, you know, and and start connecting with people. So when I'm ready, I can just click my finger in a month, I'm ready to go. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to do a pop-up community because I know that people don't like selling, you know? It's like, yeah. so I was like, let's create just a community of uh, people, Econ Minds, and, and I'm not gonna promote pop-up inside. Everyone can talk about themselves, but actually myself as a gatekeeper by, you know, before entering the community, either you are a referrer or knowing, I basically start building this massive network and it works, right? I had like people now that I could reach out to um, and it was coming organically. Mm-hmm. People are like, oh, I love your community. Oh, I see what you're doing with Papa. Maybe we should partner. So mm-hmm. partnership was happening even with, without me happening, right? Mm-hmm. But it was all too soon because mm-hmm. the product uh, was uh, not uh, ready and, uh, and the more the team was building the products, the more we were refining the ICP, the more we were realizing that it was going to take a long time to be able to build the products that mm-hmm. um, was able to cater for everyone. Yeah. And the biggest thing that we found out was people didn't want to use a pop-up in conjunction with Shopify. And that to me was the biggest was good. I mean, we, we discovered it from customers, obviously, but that, that to me was like, holy shit, now I, don't, I have no idea we're going to do this. When that happened, I got really worried because people wanted to migrate. Mm-hmm. And to be able to migrate, if I can use it in conjunction, we built like this connector that allow you to send order to Shopify. It wasn't like an app, but someone can come in, run an influencer collaboration, running some Facebook ad campaigns, and all the integration would fire with Shopify. But if I want to migrate my store, I need to have mostly all the integration that I have from Shopify. Yeah. To have all the integration, we need to build the public API, right? Do you know what I mean? And then it was like, okay, this is another six, seven months before. And I had calls with people, like I literally disqualified. We were disqualifying like 95% of people. Mm-hmm. And it was a shame because they were coming in. It was like, oh my God, I love the journey builder. I love what you're building. Mm-hmm. Do you guys integrate me in my fulfillment center? Like, uh, no, not yet. Well, 
Right. Well, I can't. I can't move my business. <laughs> it's like as simple as that. I love what you're doing, but I can't move the business. Yeah. Call me when you can integrate with my fulfillment center. Interesting. So. Interesting. So, how did you explain it to the VCs? I guess you found out, let's say, a year before shutting down, and it's in a sense, it's a it's a good thing, right? It just means that people are not happy with Shopify. There is like you know challenges in a certain in the in the flow for example right which affects conversion rates and you build something better um and in a sense venture capital is there to really back these moonshots right but of course as you say the sentiment changed the environment changed so how did play how did it play out so excel um, dropped us eight months before we shut down but by dropping you, what, what, what were like... They say we're not going to invest anymore. Okay, but it was during a board meeting, for example, right? It was a board meeting where you were giving your latest numbers. And then what happened? They just said, look, you're not... You need more capital, but your user growth is too slow. We don't believe in that story anymore. And we cannot invest? Or how, how, how did they actually... No, I think they, no, they, 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 they never... S- Excel said, we're not putting any more money in. That's what they said to me. No, it wasn't a board meeting. It was actually a meeting with one-on-one. And that was, that was really early. That was uh, a year and two months after we got funded. Okay. Okay. But what was the trigger, do you think? I personally think that the expectations that they had were very diff like it either they didn't I, I don't think they understood the product mm-hmm. i don't think they understood I, I think there was a, a fomo okay got it at the time in 2021 and they didn't fully understand the scope of what we're building mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i felt that all the way through mm. and to me because a lot of conversation were like oh but our portfolio companies are burning this amount of money and they have this amount and they have this amount of ARR, blah, 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 blah. So, and they're doing e-commerce. And I'm like, yeah, they're building a front-end app for Shopify. This is like a fifth of our company. It's like, we have to build the front-end, the back-end, the integration, the, like, of course they're doing that. <laughs> but yeah. that. Oh, but this company has this amount of engineers, why do you have so many product managers? Uh, because this company does compliance for freaking HR. So they don't need product managers mm-hmm. because it's not a prosumer company. It's not that people are using the software to create mm-hmm. things, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like they work in you know, a one domain. So obviously it's very engineering heavy. While we are, we have to have engineers, we have to have product designer and product manager because we have to build things. It's like. I remember talking, especially Corey, my business partner, talking a lot and like doing this, we were doing this graph explaining like, okay, these are like the four domains that we're working on and mm-hmm. and things like that. And it's like, I felt that it's like, they lost confidence, I don't know, maybe they lost confidence, I think, in us as well. Um, I heard a lot, for example, your burn is really high. We were burning 130K a month, but we had 40 people. Right, so a lot of things is like your burn is really high, but yeah, my burn is high, but I have forty people. Yeah, 
I mean, I know my burn is higher than the other companies that you're comparing me to that's burning 50,000, but they have five people, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, 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 I did, yeah. I did, if I go back, if I go back, um, knowing all of this, I think a pop-up would have survived uh, by changing the product slightly and trying to cater for maybe smaller segments. So, for example, we saw a opportunity in uh, enterprise. Even though Papa was not born uh, as a as a company for enterprise, we wanted to build a, a e-commerce uh, software for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and with enterprise, we probably would have become much more like a dev shop, you know, like doing these very custom builds and things like that. But we got approached by Nike, we got approached by um, Nivea, we got mm-hmm. approached by. Um, what else we going to approach? Uh, the Batra Group, uh, Alessi as well. And they all had like their own kind of use cases where they wanted to use pop-up in conjunction with the tech stack. Mm-hmm. If, we have, if we had built less on trying to kind of not building this massive, you know, e-commerce platform from day one, but maybe like a subset of that just for mm-hmm. a tiny one mm-hmm. and then trying to get traction, monetization and all of this, solving maybe one problem instead of trying to solve too many problems. And then from that, slowly moving into the rest, I think that would have been a much better strategy. I think that was our mistake. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you didn't have that, let's say, epiphany back then, right? It's just now you're thinking it's true and, and realizing. Yeah, I mean, it's like, yeah. I mean, the, the, the enterprise play arrived while we were, um, it's a massive decision, right? Because you're like, you're, you have a vision, you're building something and you have to build something else. But on my side, there was a little bit of pride as well. Mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. I was like, I believe in this product and I have to change something mm-hmm. because I need to show investors. Yeah, it, it didn't make sense to me on a product level, I get it. but it would have it would have been a good decision for the investors. Mm-hmm. And so, a lot of the times, personally, I don't know if uh, other people were thinking like that. It's, it's very hard for me not to operate, operate from I operate from common sense, right? And yeah. when I do things that don't make sense. It's it just really because to me it's like it doesn't make sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. It's important think, to do you know long term sustainable decisions, even you know, and short term just to raise a round, which then might again might have you know then you just die later, right? Like yeah, it wouldn't have made any sense. But like pop yeah. up could be for for the way to pop up to go, we probably would have need another ten million. Uh, and investors, like, honestly, it, would have, it should have been the same story the Figba had. Okay. But with, with, with the big risk that if we spend all this money and we arrive at this, this might not even happen. So instead of losing 3.5, we're going to lose 50 million if these guys can't make it. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. So but I did feel, I, I, I had a strong conviction. I had mm-hmm. a really strong conviction from been in commerce from so long and with the community and people just like from people from like, when you speak to Nike, when you speak to Nivea and they were like, this is cool. This is really, really cool. This can yeah. really happen. Um, I started to feel like if we can just build these 
MVP that is so big. So a company that we, we can actually onboard customers fully and they can power 100% of people's mm-hmm. business, I think we're going to make it. Mm-hmm. Also because I realized that yeah, Shopify, moving people for Shopify was hard. I mean, we did it, but it was hard. But companies like WooCommerce, Custom Cards, oh my God. Like, for us, it wasn't like, hey, let's try to steal customers from Shopify. There was a huge market share that Shopify didn't tap into it that we could have got, you know, all people that wanted to move maybe to Shopify, you wanted to use as an alternative. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, people actually think Shopify owns 50% of the CMS market, but it's a much, much smaller market, right? It's like they own like 10%. 25. How much? 25, 20. 25, okay. 20. I, I, I thought even less than that. And okay, fine. But then WooCommerce, how much does WooCommerce have? WooCommerce is 25 as well, 2025. It depends on the region though. Yeah. It depends right. on the region. Like US, they would own 50%, while WooCommerce, for example, in Europe, much higher, right? Yeah, so, right. Okay, fair yeah. enough. So, and then you have like a long tail, which you could basically, you know, play in really well as well. So, tell me but about... But in the top 100,000 store, I think Shopify is 25%. So, I'm talking about... Because, you know, 75% of Shopify store makes no money, right? So, that right. We, we know that. So, they right. make less than $1,000 a year. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Because there's so many merchants who start selling something and then just shut down and, you know, never make anything. They're selling entrepreneurship a lot. They're yeah. selling a dream, right? They're selling the guy that is like, oh, it's, but the, when I was working in Shopify, I had people calling me. Uh, they were like, I, I started in, um, I did like three months in support, which is amazing before I moved to Plus wow. because you really get to know the customer. And I had co- people calling me. They were like, you told me that I was going to make a ton of money with this. And, you know, I started and my story is not making any money. And then I was looking in their dashboard and I was like, dude, you have no traffic. <laughs> it's like, I was like, what do you mean? I was like, it's like you have a store and you're complaining that your till is empty, but you had no customer entering in your store. But your store is like, based on oh. the desert, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Exactly. <laughs> so, 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 okay, but let's go back for a second because it's just really fascinating, right? So Excel says no. And then what happened? So like the same way everybody said yes after Seedcamp said yes, everybody also started freaking out and saying no once Excel said no, or was there something like Seedcamp still believing in you and saying, look guys, it happens, but let's try to find another lead for your, you know, seed round. No, 100%, 100%. The thing is like, um, this is what I was saying in the beginning. When you, get, when you get, if you get like a, if you raise seeds, for example, and you get like Seedcamp and you get 20BC, those are pre-seed company. They are your first check and they don't do the second check. And you know this from day one. Yeah. Right? So they know they're not going to invest in you again. Everyone knows. That's it. That's what they do. They supported us a lot. They, they, they you know, work with us and we started fundraising as well. We had uh, an amazing pipeline. Uh, we had, we spoken to 150 venture capital. I went to San Francisco as well to try to secure funding and everything. The issue is like we had people that wanted to put money in. Um, but 2021 as well gave us a re- crazy evaluation, mm-hmm. overinflated evaluation, mm-hmm. which was completely different from the evaluations that we're getting now. So 
we had to do a down round just because our evaluation was so very inflated. You know, it was uh, 20, 22 million on a pre-seed and now you had companies with a 14 million evaluation making 2 million ARR, right? It was like, for fuck's sake, it was crazy, right? So the valuation was really high um, and uh, it was really hard to find a lead, a lead investor. Also, we were raising a five million this time as well. So it was considerable. And, and we were raising five million because it was like, if we raise two, we, we, we're, just, we're gonna basically back in the same yeah. Yeah. bullshit again, right? We just need to buy ourselves time. Mm-hmm. And um, we found a lot of followers, people that wanted to put 200, 300, 500, but they were like, we need a lead. Mm-hmm. Um, we started, I, I don't think I can name them, but I was, we spoke to uh, two big tier one funds that seemed very interested to the point that they arrived to do the due diligence with uh, our merchants. And uh, we had the, at the time, it moved, it moved on now, but um, at the time, the head of digital of uh, Bayendorf, Nivea, um, using us as a reference. So yeah, they really chat with us and gave us a good reference on, on the pilot that we wanted to run with them. And uh, also um, Goodbye Bright, which is another like a 3 million a year business doing amazing stuff. George was really kind to, you know, uh, create this case study. We had about 10 case studies as well published and they disappeared. Mm-hmm. And wasted, wasted uh, your time. Uh, yeah. How? I, I, yeah. I don't know, but I do have a feeling that the fact that a lot of people, they were, I, I have, it's not that I have a feeling, they told me, signal. If Excel yeah. doesn't invest, yeah, no, no, it's, 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 why it's Excel is not investing? Yeah, it's basically, you know, it creates advice. all this question. Why they're not investing? Maybe yeah. they know something that we don't know. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. It's, it's, and basically... I had fans saying, yeah, I had fans saying just this to me, like, I have fans straight up. They were like, yeah. we are not investing because if Excel is not investing, we, we're not in, we're not in. And I got a few of them. Yeah, and ultimately, it's this advice you got early on. If you got Excel in and they're not investing, it will be, impossible for you to raise right out of interest if you would, have... it would be really they said it would be really hard if you yeah. add the facts of the market change if yeah. you add the fact of also a shifting of because obviously that's the way they explained it to me which was actually really cool it was like 2021 remote work e-commerce 10x evaluation like 100x boom amazing ai and then you had crypto 100x and AI was like, yeah, who, who the fuck gives a shit? Like, who, no one cares about AI. Mm-hmm. 2023, AI, 100x. E-commerce, not that bad. It's just like in the middle and stuff like this. Crypto, forget about it, you're dead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. It's like, you know, the reverse of things. So obviously we saw a lot of shifts as well in funding into, into AI. So I think was, if I have to picture this, it's like, okay, you have a company with an overinflated evaluation, uh, the team is amazing. The, what they're building is really interesting, but it's a moonshot. But we want to allocate a lot of funds into AI right now, obviously, because this is where the future is. And this company does have an AI play. We don't have an AI play because we didn't make sense for us. Like we, we, yeah. we scoped it out, but was like for us doesn't make sense using AI right now. Yeah. Besides, just like some basic things. Yeah. Um, and also the well overinflated evaluations as well 
mm-hmm. and uh, I and also uh, the lead investor, which is Excel, which uh, they should invest or at least do pro rata. They're not putting any money in. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I mean, yeah. I, if I were an investor, I'd, I'd be like. No, and also it was a really, really a buyer's market. That yeah. means that there was a lot of deals going on. And yeah. I have comp and I have investors telling me it's like, look, I have companies now. I just closed the deal of uh, this company in e-commerce. They're doing two million ARR with a valuation of uh, uh, twelve million dollars. And you're coming in with uh, basically zero ARR, uh, a twenty-three million evaluation. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah, what? yeah. Can I ask you one more question on that topic, which is sure. um, obviously Excel has anti-dilution clauses in your you know, shareholders agreement. Um, if you would have, was there ever a discussion on, hey, let me do like a really, uh, you know, big down round. I mean, was there ever? Oh, yeah, we went to the stream. Okay. We went to the stream. We went like, uh, I didn't tell this to anyone, but um, in uh, November, when we saw that the things were not going good, we I stepped down because we wanted to basically bring the burn to 120 to 70,000, mm-hmm. right? So the idea was, let's bring the burn down to 70,000. Let's try to get a bridge that with our current investor that they can put like maybe half a million, 700,000 that will buy us seven months mm-hmm. to finish up a few things because we were about to launch admin 2.0 which was going to allow us to lower our disqualification rate significantly mm-hmm. so we can get more traction and uh, at the same time either exploring a acquihire in case things go shit or we can we can just basically have more time to fundraise mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when I start thinking about this with, with my business partner, I was like, okay, so let's look at the team who we need to let go. I was like, well, all marketing, because we just need to focus on product. Let's just get this stuff finished. Yeah. Uh, the community is there. If we want to kick stuff marketing, it's, it's really, uh, you know, it's not, we don't need, we have done a lot of groundwork yeah. right now. We can pick up the groundwork and then get it back up. So who was marketing was me and other few people. And I was quite good paid. So I was like, well, if I have to cut the first person, it would be, it would be me. So I was like, I will stay with you, obviously, um, fundraising as a, as a co-founder to, you know, it's not like, oh, I'm leaving and doing something else, yeah. right? It was like, I'll, I'll, I'll stay, but not doing marketing. I'll stay just with you, Corey. And help you out and figure out all of this and being in the meetings and stuff like that, but I'll step down. Mm-hmm. And then I, so I, what I did, I let go all my marketing team before we shut down, I let go all of my marketing team. And, uh, we went to the investor and I said, Matteo stepped down and, uh, we brought the burn down to 75,000. Can you help us out? And, uh, everyone said no. So when everyone said no, Cody called me and it was like, look, I just called with investors and actually Corey as well. <laughs> this is actually right? kudos to him. Um, he said, I'm, I'm cutting my wages off 
Like he was like, I'm not, I'm just going to cut basically my wages. I think he went down. I said, I'm just going to pay myself, I think, two grand a month, just literally so I can barely live uh, to be able to do, to do this, right? So he cut, he, cut, he cut his wages off. We couldn't cut people's wages off because we, they were already expecting raises, which we never gave them, right? Yeah. So, and then, but obviously we were very worried as well because, okay, it was like, okay, we're cutting everyone off, but then uh, we're going to lose engineers, obviously. Maybe we're going to lose people. And, but we, literally that was, to, to us, that was the last straw. It was like, mm-hmm. more than this, we don't know what to do. Um, but when, when basically everyone said, nah, and I think that moment I realized that probably they gave up on us without yeah. telling us, they probably gave up on us a yeah. little bit before that, that yeah. they write us off. It was like, and, um, and I think funds work like this. I don't think funds, the, the objective of a fund is, uh, yeah, reporting, to, you know, to, you know, to double down on the winners, and that's yeah, exactly yeah. the risk. If you are, if you're making money, orphan, orphan company, nobody gives a shit about you anymore, and it's a bad signal. Yeah, you're part. Yeah, I mean, I think the uh, an objective on the fund. I don't see. I don't. Know, this is just uh, every opinion is just mine. This is, I think, what I've seen or what I perceive. But I think the objective of uh, venture capital is not to make a company successful is to return money to the investors and it's different mm-hmm. i know that you return money your investor if companies are successful but they don't give a crap about your company you are part of this bubble and then if the return of investment comes from two companies that go ipo and the rest die okay i mean it's like i done yeah, my job invest about the money yeah. Yeah, it's portfolio construction theory. Yeah, absolutely. But it, it, it yeah. is what it is, right? It is, yeah. It's it's, it's um, like it, it is. It is like is it, there is their objective, right? That's why they're there. <laughs> so 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 let's say for other SaaS founders, right? Like, what would be your advice, knowing now what you you know, knowing now what you know? Yeah, so I can give advice that was given to me while I was in San Francisco, which was actually really really good. Um, a lot of VCs, venture capital, they gave me this advice. It's like they're like capital is really expensive right now. Things have changed. Don't go if you're starting a company, especially on precedes, bootstrap or do an angel round. Don't go venture. Mm-hmm. Don't go venture. Like venture with the, I'm raising with the pitch stack. Forget it. If they you forget it, you're gonna get like a super shit deal, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like build. Do an angel round, don't go venture capital. Once you have enough ARR and any of the product market fits, then that's maybe the time for raising mm-hmm. money from investors. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this is what I heard a lot. Mm-hmm. So you're obviously an entrepreneur, so you never give up. What is the next step for you? What are you building now? So I wasn't planning to build anything. <laughs> I was... Um, uh, I, I set myself up as an advisor for um, startups uh, just because I started like maybe last year in companies like Meander and uh, Mental Cruise uh, and just helping people just for free. I, I didn't ask for anything. And I really liked uh, the, yeah, I really like helping people in terms of like telling my story as well and mm-hmm. telling my learnings from fundraising strategy to growth to 
because I have the bootstrapping mentality, but at the same time now I also raise capital. So helping founders as well on a mental health level and managing their life and trying to and trying to be trying to build a business without sacrificing. I was speaking just to a founder yesterday and he was like, I hate what I'm doing now because I'm not the seventeen hour work day type of guy. It's like I love the business, but it's it's like it's it's just sucking up so much of my energy and time that now I hate it. So maybe that helping founders on that. But I have a project that started to me as a literally as a not passion, not even passion. I was like I was just trying to solve a problem. So I was diagnosed with bipolar uh, about four months ago. I always knew I kind of yeah I was I knew I was my dad is bipolar. I always knew that there was something there. And I think being an entrepreneur is kind of hidden that because um, things of bipolar are um, over resilience, hyper focus, and mania, manic phases where you can just basically work 20 hours a day without never giving up. So it's like <laughs> perfect, right? I have all the conditions to, uh, to be that, but at the same time, you know, you, you pay the price afterwards, right? Um, and, and yeah, so I was, um, I, I, it took me like four months to find a psychiatrist, even paying for a psychiatrist. And when I got the psychiatrist, I basically got a prescription and that's it. I was sent home. Right. And I was like, holy shit, is that it? It's like a psychiatrist is just basically a pill dispenser. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I thought about using artificial intelligence and machine learning to maybe creating something. And, uh, I just hired a developer at the time and put together like a WhatsApp uh, uh, bot that uh, you can get information about bipolar. Mm-hmm. And then I was uh, I was speaking to a friend of mine that is bipolar too. His name is James, uh, James Rycroft, and he's been working in mental health as well. And uh, we decided was like, oh, maybe we actually can build something a little bit more. We got approached with some psychiatrists. So we decided to basically build uh, an app and we got approached by King's College London and Bipolar UK to run then a beta uh, and an observational study to see if actually if our app is going to be able to uh, help psychiatrists to make better diagnosis and reduce also maybe medicine intake and mm-hmm. uh, helping people with bipolar with self-management. And as <laughs> and so it was like, holy shit, this is sounded, it, it's actually started like this. And then I was digging more and I realized that there is uh, 1 billion people in the world with mental illness. Wow. Diagnosed with mental illness, I, I, I like that. This between like ADHD, bipolar, uh, depression, schizophrenia, whatever, autism, right? And I was like, holy shit, this is actually a massive issue. <laughs> and I also discovered that there is uh, uh, forty thousand people for one psychiatrist. Like, wow. and right. So if you actually suffer from mental illness, psychiatrist is the only person that can give you medication, and access is pretty much nothing right mm-hmm. um and so yeah so it started like this so we are going to launch the app um not raising from venture i th- i think that bipolar uk can will be able to come in and then maybe we'll bring right. some angels and just grants. To... i'm sure you can get some grants as well right um we're thinking a different approach the g- g- yeah, grants is like you know it's super long Okay. So yeah. we are speaking, this is kind of a bit of a scoop, but we are speaking with Paris Fury, which is the wife of Tyson Fury. Okay. Um, Tyson is uh, diagnosed with bipolar. So oh. the idea of bringing some angel syndicates and some celebrities like 
Tyson to be angels investor at the same time oh. to to promote. But the objective right now is literally just for the next six months, just working with King's College London to mm-hmm. um, prove that this thing can actually make a difference, right? Mm-hmm. And then once mm-hmm. we have that, we'll, we'll figure it out. That's cool. That's cool. And to me, it's, it's, it's back to my roots because I'm, I'm a clinical psychologist. So it's, it's kind of back to my, so back, back to, to the, the, roots. the stuff that back I used to, to do. Yeah. yeah, yeah, back to my roots. Amazing, amazing. All right. Let's do a really quick fire round. Um, so... What's a good book recommendation for SaaS founders? Uh, what a book recommendation? Oh, yeah, I already said uh, fundraising. <laughs> the, the guide to fundraising from Carlos Espinal. Got it, got it, got it. All right. Yeah. Uh, who is That's good. an entrepreneur leader you admire the most? Oh, entrepreneur leader I admire the most. Oh, that's a good one. Uh, <laughs> Andy Dunn, uh, just because I discovered him recently, Andy Dunn from, uh, is the founder of uh, Bonobo. Okay, cool. He wrote a book called as well, Burn, Burn, Burn Rates, which is cool because he talks about his uh, mental illness and mental health and funding Bonobo to 300 million. Yeah, tr- like he really crushed, like Bonobo is massive, right? Um, mm-hmm. And dealing with that and how he was able to deal with all of these. And he also talks about venture and the approach to uh, to mental health and stuff. I think it's, it's a really good book, yeah. That's a really good founder as well, and book as well. <laughs> okay, what's a SaaS tool you use but not many other people know of? What's a SaaS tool I use that not many people know? Um, SaaS, what, what do you mean SaaS? For what? Specify. Could be anything, it could be for your email outreach, your LinkedIn outreach, your whatever, you know. Any mm. SaaS tool you or your team use? Yeah, so recently, um, HyperWrite, it's a plugin that works on Google Chrome, and it basically connects to your, it reads all your emails, right? So it's able to reproduce your voice, mm-hmm. and literally, honestly, I tested it out, one click, and it just, like, composed the email. It goes so fast. Amazing. Amazing. And then I use another one. Mm-hmm. I have like a workflow now that helped me so much. It's um, it's a plugin called it's a Chrome extension called Whispers, and it allows you to use uh, the Whispers um, API from from OpenAI, and it works on OpenAI. It works on ChatGPT, you know, on on desktop, and you can talk. So I found that I now use ChatGPT as a on a talking level as a friend because sometimes i just have these ideas and i just like blubber around it's like hey but maybe i can do this and, and then it just suddenly just, and I, like that workflow has helped me so much in terms of like creating ideas creating thoughts or putting all my ideas together and just recording things yeah that is, that is cool that is and it's free as well it's, it's fully free <laughs> wow. all right what's the best advice you've ever received uh best advice you see oh the more, <laughs> I think uh, it's not an advice. It's more like something that an old person told me like a long time ago and I didn't believe him. It's like the problem in life, he told me the problem in life is that eventually for people like you, you're always going to get what you want. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's the problem. Deep. And I can tell you why. It's like the moment I got everything I wanted is the moment where my life went crashing down. Mm-hmm. It's a deep one. Okay, final one. I spoke one. to so many people like this. Huh? 
Final, final question. Um, who would you want to have as a guest on this podcast? Ah, uh, my good friend, Michael Shine. Okay, Michael Shine. All right, perfect. We'll Michael Shine, you wrote a book called uh, The High Pen Book, and uh, he has studied for the last 20 years uh, how to create hype and what makes a good and ethical hype artist and the, str and, and the strategy that you can use in your business to create a brand that people will embrace just just because they want to be part of this like a cult like a cult brand and i find i is not a SaaS guy but i from reading a book every SaaS founder will have like a good framework to create something that really changes it really changes people's perspective yeah awesome look mate it's been super interesting and honest yeah no it is vulnerable as well so um all the best with the new you know yeah so see you soon see you soon thanks for sticking around if you want to see the show notes please go to neoptima.com slash podcast otherwise see you at the next episode bye